We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now New Galaxy Broadcasting presents Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, a program addressing the grave challenges to human and citizen rights in America and the rest of the world. How can we, the people of Earth, take back the power and privileges granted to us by God and address so significantly in the Declaration of Independence? Our rights are inalienable, that is, given by God and incapable of being taken away from or given by another. These rights are the basis of liberty, the foundation of all life and happiness. The Coalition of Planetary Empowerment is an organization designed to give its members tools and information to empower them personally, in relationships, and in business and employment, but also to give them a voice and the ability to help transform political and corporate governance to support the true needs and desires of people throughout the world. Inalienable and Free focuses on the need for government and corporate business interests to be responsive to the will and desire of their constituents and consumer shareholders. So, inalienable and free, voice of the coalition. I'm sharing my mic today with Don New- Donald Newsom, owner of BBS Radio and also an entrepreneur. But, you know, uh, before we get into the depths of our program, there are some things going on in BBS radio, which I think everybody out there should hear about. And I've got the right person on the air just to tell us. Well, What's going on now? What's going pleasure. on now, Don? It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. It's a pleasure to be here with your audience. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's so many things happening with BBS radio. Uh, I mean, so many things. We basically... Um, have uh, spent a little time in um, syndicating ourselves to the major portals, which we, you know, in the past we never did uh, uh, some of the syndication to these major portals because, hey, they're pay-to-play, folks. And when you're giving your original content to another network and you're paying them to take it, that was never in my game plan. But some of these portals are so large, like iHeart and Spreaker and SoundCloud and, you know, some of the portals that it's worth their nominal pennies that they request and so we did that and um, now we've also had to obtain full licensing across all the royalty boards all of them and we also had to uh, obtain insurance you know like uh, ENO media uh, insurance a couple million dollar policy so that we could facilitate uh, some of these streams to some of these larger portals that which request being on our insurance policy and you know they want to dance through the information and run you through a few hoops here and there but that's pretty much been done and we're excited uh i mean things are just kind of going to gangbusters now and um you know we don't see that slowing down for a while so i it's think a lot of people i think a lot of people out there might be uh, not quite knowledgeable about what a royalty board is and maybe you could explain it oh sure well we play indie music and we also play we like to play primarily indie but we also play other music from some of the hip-hop artists and that are around town and some of the more major uh, musicians but in order to do that we have to be fully licensed and covered and that means we have to either fit under their waivers and or send them off reports that tell them how often we played these tracks what the track name was who it's by 
what the recording label is, and so on. And then you send those reports off um, periodically to these royalty boards. And there's three of them. There's CSAC, there's ASCAP, and there's BMI. And they basically uh, handle that, uh, handle the money you give them. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And make sure that everything's okay on your end, that you can actually offer music to your listeners via streams, and also that you can offer music in your podcast and not just broadcast but as downloadable information from your website and so on so we've pretty much covered the gambit um and um it allows us to do you know whatever we wish to do with music let's say which is nice which is nice well terrific thank you my pleasure well you know today we are interested in discussing the subjects we generally discuss, namely how to take back and restore and expand our legitimate human and citizen rights, including health, safety, and prosperity, that have been recently downsized since 9-11. These ideals, based on the critical, inalienable phrase of the Declaration, which John Kennedy leads off on every program that we, that we broadcast, grows dimmer and dimmer every time I hear it as a newscast. Is that, do you feel that way? Do you feel like our rights are contracting? Well, you know, it's not like we're getting any more rights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a cool, that's a nice way of saying it. I was thinking, um, I, I think I, I just um, all joking aside, I thought, I thought of a way that maybe a, a key problem could be um, handled. And that is that, you know how... I, I don't know if you ever heard him say this. This was a while ago, but Rand Paul was one time criticizing the length of the bills and legislation. Right. You know, 300, 500 pages. Well, I was thinking about it, and, uh, you know, the, the thought was that maybe the problem is that they're not really long enough. And maybe, first I thought, well, maybe we should just start a minimum of 1,000 pages. <laughs> But, but then again, I got worried because I understand that in, in the Congress, there's maybe five or six speed readers. And I think we need to be really careful about this. So I thought, OK, well, we don't really want all these uh, staff to be reading everything. We really want our congressmen to be reading something. So let's put them in a secure room, uh, maybe a six hours. But then again, there are some people who are savants, aren't there, Don? You know, really smart people. And uh, maybe there are a few speed readers we won't catch. So let's double it to 2,000 pages, give them six hours in these secure rooms to read it. and um, With no AC. No, I'm sorry? With no, no AC. AC. And, and no bathroom privileges. <laughs> and I think then we'll solve a lot of our problems because it's really dangerous with all this information floating around. I don't know. But uh, now we'll, we'll pretty much... Uh, We'll pretty much know who's in charge at last. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, anyway, actually, the reality is that over many years, noting that everything had kind of dissolved into absurdity and loss of all these rights, I decided to form an organization called the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, which is still in an embryonic stage, that it's not fully formed, and really there aren't any members yet. But there are certain plans that I'm working with with different people. This organization will be a spiritual organization promoting both individual and collective manifestation through alignment of a members' personal and social projects with the righteousness and purposes 
of those recognizing in themselves those inalienable rights given to us by our Creator. So my feeling is like, Don, that the declaration, that phrase we talk about, is really much more than just a, uh, it's not just a sort of statement of our rights. It's, it also is talking about sort of alignment with the, with the purposes of the Creator, which, is, which are righteous purposes. And so I, I felt that, it, that this program and the coalition would, be on a, should, should, would promote being on a spiritual, true spiritual path because it gives you the opportunity to experience your connection to the Creator and to grow spiritually, providing you with the guidance how to make correct decisions, gives freedom from dogmatic programming that blocks you from making real, real purposeful um, decisions in your, in your life and in politics, allows you to experience the connection between conscience and the higher self, and gives you a better understanding of righteousness and a way to act according to the will and nature of the Creator. Obviously, Don, this isn't really maybe geared to everybody that we're taught what we're talking about, right? Well, anyway, well, it, it, you know, you're yeah. right, and but you know, I I always have to find kind of like you do. There has to be common ground, and you know, we it, it, we can roll into that mode where we want to define what spirituality is and how it fits into our culture and our laws and everything. But the truth is we've already done that. This nation has already done that. It, it went to war and it came out with a constitution that many, many countries follow. And so I'm a hardcore constitutionalist. I'm kind of like Rand Paul, coming back to Rand. I, I'm not like Trump or some of the others that would think that, hey, if we can get around it, let's get around it if it's, you know, if it's effective and efficient for us. I wouldn't do that. I, I really truly believe in smaller government, and I truly believe in the Constitution as our roadmap, as the basic core. And if we could all agree on that, then most of the other issues would all go away. Well, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I mean... I believe that the of course we can amend the Constitution, and it has been amended, I think, effectively for things that were left out. Right. But, it, but, but basically, but basically, the Declaration and the and the Constitution are the bulwark of of everything. And uh, but I also think that in the sense of the, the that, that reality that we as citizens aligned with our Creator have have, our, if our conscience is aligned with Creator we can make a kind of direct contact. We can get the guidance and spiritual direction we need just as the finding fathers. But the creator isn't going to change his ideas, right? He's not going to just say, okay, we'll get rid of the first five amendments. You know? Right. Absolutely right. So, so it's, it's a matter of what do we do now, now that the Constitution has been challenged in many serious ways. And also another part of this is that, in my belief, uh, when you when you um, are aligned with the Creator, and you and you and and you experience the 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 majesty of this direct contact, you can get messages and images that are, are aligned with spirit, sort of your the, you, what would you might call your true desires, and those things can actually manifest for you in your life better. So uh, I would rather have people be spiritually empowered um, than, you know, as a, as a group of people who are trying to do things. But in this particular coalition, 
as long as a person agrees with the principles that I believe are based on conscience, the righteousness of the Constitution and the Declaration, I'm fine with them being involved because it will involve, uh, you know, processes of electioneering. Um, so, um, so as I say, this is sort of this is sort of a special area here where which the coalition deals with. Anyway, the fact that we are on a spiritual path does not mean that we are necessarily graced with the ability to manifest manifest food on our table by just thinking about it or heal every ache and pain or even serious physical condition we're suffering through. There are different levels of spiritual empowerment and you need to find the right one for you. I'm thinking of some popcorn right now, but nothing's <laughs> happening. No. That would be good. Yeah. You know, you could go to the movies. No, you know, they start doing these advertisements. You start to drool, but you're too lazy to get up to get the popcorn, and there it is, <laughs> and the coke or whatever <laughs> that goes with it. Of course, uh, as a personal example, I want to give an example of this manifestation idea. I was working with a specific connection between personality and certain energy systems connected to personality. It's my own personal work. I did this for many years. It's something that began with teachers I worked with for five years, but then it grew into more profound understanding based on my own study and experimentation. So I was working with spiritual ways to solve certain things, and particularly I was dealing with the very stuff of anger. That is the rotation. And that involved, in this little thing that I do, the rotation displacement of certain energies experiencing on a more etheric level. So I was able to actually deal with this anger problem. And But, but you know what? It didn't work. <laughs> I could get it for a while to subside because I could kind of concentrate on, on these centers. It might be like concentrating certain parts of your body or concentrating on something else, and it, it would subside. But then it would come back. And uh, I was angry at people who, in my, my own particular life of business, uh, which you may see, understand from your, own, from your own experiences, I felt I cheated a lot and I lied to. And although I could move energies around that would temporarily remove this anger, it would just come back full with full fire and fury, uh, if you'll forgive that phrase, Doc. Anyway. Yeah, well, uh, when, you, when you feel like a victim, uh, the world spins things in that order. Yeah, and no matter what I did, I could move this energy around, like say a certain amount would aggregate in the solar plexus area and move it somewhere else, and it would go away. Oh yeah, and it comes right back. <laughs> finally, finally realizing that I did not understand the resiliency of that phenomena, I took a course in anger management. That was the beginning of a journey that made me ultimately realize that it was like you were kind of implying that my thinking was the cause. It wasn't the energy, the energy was moving because of my thinking. And, and so I was like dealing with the symptoms and not the cause. I could manipulate the energy for a short time, short time and lose my anger, but my semi-conscious thinking would always drive me back to that Bring imbalance. Right back, right. Ultimately, specifically doing to my, dealing with my study of Wayne Dyer, I began to learn how to change my thinking and identify a state of consciousness related to source, that connection I've been talking about. Not only did my anger subside, though not completely, you know, I'm, I, I have to say I still mutter to myself and want to sue people. <laughs> but what a great guy, though, that Wayne Dyer was. I mean, oh, yeah. wow. 
I watched him, uh, many of his videos. I found him to be not only compelling and astute, but uh, I think he was right on track, right on track. Well, the thing is, I, I read a lot of his books, and I didn't, I liked them, but I didn't really, I, I was not completely in t- touch with them. They seemed off. And then I read his autobiography. And when I read his autobiography, uh, I can see clearly now, I realized that he was going, his autobiography describes his growth through different stages of development. Right. And by the end of that thing, which I read, it's like very long, I was amazed because I understood now the most critical thing. I understood where he was coming from spiritually in different areas and where where it wasn't just, uh, where it was really useful. And when I found it was useful, his whole the whole world of his stuff opened up for me. And I actually manage a uh, something called the, um, the Wayne Dyer Experience on LinkedIn, a, a group dedicated to studying his stuff. A little payback I did. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, I did, things started to change with the anger problem. So, but I bring this up because in solving spiritual problems, you may have to go to base level, which means the physical level, or at least something like it. Like, for instance, eating properly, doing physical exercise or seeing a counselor might have to serve. You may not be able to call, you may not be able to heal your stomach problems unless you stop eating too much popcorn, I guess. I mean, manifesting all the time. Right. And if you're on a certain level, you probably cannot avoid certain key steps. So what about the state of the world? How can we change the terrible things that are happening? That is pro- that is probably moving to the realm of survival as well. If you think about it. Our present form of government is tampered with our food, our medical protections, our financial abilities, the safety of our family, our right to protection of the law, our right to or ability to protest when these rights are challenged. Thomas Jefferson and the other founding fathers proposed an alternative kind of government to the tyranny of King George's style and monarchy. In fact, an alternative to tyranny altogether. That involved a declaration in the Constitution. But even after these rights were established in principle, at least for the few, Jefferson said in a letter in 1805 to Littleton Waller Tazewell, listen to this, Don, this is really cool. Convinced that the people are the only safe depositories of their own liberty and that they are not safe unless enlightened to a certain degree, I have looked on our present state of liberty as a short-lived possession unless the mass of people could be informed to a certain degree. It's clear... You know, you know, I, to me, you know, I think to myself, you know, after all these years, we can safely say that our safe depositories are being locked up by the bank, which I, by which I mean metaphorically the government. People's ignorance, apathy, and self-concern have given us a democracy that is being locked down by forces that do not believe in liberty. But we ourselves have voted for these resources. Well, they would believe in liberty if it were on, if the coin was on the other, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot. But uh, considering they're, you know, uh, I guess you would have to say uh, they have all the pee, all the pie and all the toys. He who dies with the most toys wins. I guess they believe it. And now that they have all the toys, they want them all from you, from me and everybody else. It's unfortunate. But again, if the shoe were on the other foot, they might think differently. But uh I don't think these financial gurus think like that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I really think it's a it's a psych, 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 what is the word? Yeah, they're psychotic. 
It, no. It's psychopathy. psychopathy. It's, it's like right. uh, it's like they don't have any kind of concept of people beyond their own little station Sphere. or class. Right. right. But getting back to the other side of it, us, that is, I want to read an, another quote from the, a letter from Jefferson to Charles Yance 11 years later. If a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. And that's where we're at now. Right. The people that we're, we are responsible, I'm talking about the, the 99% of what's happening, because we, you know, you're talking about all these, these rich people having all the toys and all the assets, which they do. But we had all the power and we didn't use it. We gave it away. We gave it to them, lock, stock, and barrel. And now they're using it uh, to their advantage. And we're leading into, in my opinion, a fairly horrifying uh, world situation. Um, I don't know how it's all going to pan out, but, yeah, uh, we're, you know, when you got too much power in the hands of too few people, um, and it's generational, and it's been that way forever. They really have nothing better to do. I mean, once you got all the toys, the only thing left is to start removing people. That's right. Yeah. And and that's part of the psychopathology. They don't have right. much of a sense of people being equal. Right. They, 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 we're going to go into this at length because we don't just present here the problems. We also try to address the possible solutions, the possible new paradigms. But right now... The forces of darkness grow closer and closer, and we must take action. The first step is to help remove the cloud of darkness surrounding the American people and the rest of the world. To do this, we must populate the electoral system with more informed and enlightened voters. They do not necessarily have to be a vast majority. I'm talking about the U.S. now. Nor do they have to all necessarily be on a spiritual path. But they must believe in their inalienable rights, have a conscience, really care about other people, I mean, and be dedicated to being informed and capable of acting in a manner fully protected of their rights. So I realize that the idea of a coalition, an organization like this, or other organizations like this, is a big risk in terms of will it actually do something. Well, I believe that it can. And you can look at really anomalies, and I think of the first one being the way Gandhi, in his little loincloth and his weaving wheel, uh, took down the British Empire. So I think it's things, I'm not trying to use Gandhi's techniques, but I am talking about someone who is rather powerless, who, uh, who basically turned the whole state of things around. Right, did he ever. Um, there was a man with conviction. Starving yourself to get other people to listen. Uh, it might have worked back then, though. I'm not too sure it would work here. We have probably too many people would laugh and just say, hey, go ahead. One last Well, person. it worked in the civil rights movement, but I, I believe I believe in a more win-win. I believe in a situation of protest. Well, it's I don't simple. Really, I don't it's really simple. you got to get corruption I, I out of government. And the one way you do that is you give them term limits. And number two, if they're going to take a... Um, let's say um, some sort of a uh, or monies when they retire retirement package uh, then I believe that those that do volunteer to be of service to others in government I think they should not be able to uh, make money in government not be able to use their power to make money in government I think that 
Uh, honestly, I truly believe that. I don't, uh, I don't think that government should be used by these politicians to make their billions and billions and billions and screw the rest of us out of our own money with our own money. And in order to get corruption out of politics, you really got to bring it down to the basic level once again. Smaller government, more constitutional, uh, and you got to get rid of the money in government. That means the lobbyist system, that all has to go. And we really have to, you know, term limits, again, are key, but we really have to stop allowing people who get into government, especially in various positions, to be able to make money. That should be, that power should be taken away. In fact, we might even want a system where if you volunteer to be of service to the people in government, uh, your, your assets and everything and so on are frozen in such a way as you can't use them and manipulate them for your own gain. It's just what you have before you enter is all you got. When you leave, that's all you got. Any extra dollars would be uh, forfeit. You well, could, you should be able to salary people, right? Well, I you because know, if yeah, you're salary just, them, I mean, you want with the enough money, person. maybe with enough money that uh, you know, especially in various positions, uh, like maybe the president and maybe a few others, where you salary them with enough money that they don't ever have to worry about making money again after their term's over. They can actually do their job for eight years and then live comfortably on the money. It would be far less than the money they're thieving and stealing from us now and the corruption that's entering into our political system. Again, it's all because of the money. And if we remove that equation, I think that's really one of the best methods to bringing a more just system uh, to our environment, let's say. Yeah. Well, I, I basically agree with it. I just meant that the people who come, an ordinary person, we want him to be able to run for office and have enough money to survive while he's doing it or to right. visit his, his constituents uh, if, they're, if they're in Congress in Washington. Right. They get enough and, of a salary that they can live quite well um, and don't need to go out and steal your money in order to live well. But well, it, you see, they, if, they have, if you have term limits, you're not going to have the same atmosphere either about that. But you also have to deal with the revolving door stuff. Right, and that's part of the problem. That revolving door stuff is just ridiculous. It's the buddy-buddy system. And believe me, that's how it works. A lot of people think that isn't how it works. That's exactly how it works. Oh, buddy, yeah. Buddy yeah, I mean, look, and, yeah, you just look at the people who are in the FDA right. or the FCC and see where they're coming they from. They just and see hire where their friends and put them in these positions of power on these yeah. various boards, and away it goes. And, and, and people are, are, are asleep. We're going to just take a little break here because we do need a break. There's so much darkness. So we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to a little spiritual song created by husband and wife team Janima and Kalusu Watergate, creators of the cosmic rock band Lightstorm and sole performers for many years with that band. They are profoundly dedicated to change the world for the better as best they can. This is evident in their song, I Am, which acknowledges their strong personal commitment to Sai Baba, who passed away some years ago, but whose work lives in the deeds and devotion of his followers. Now, I'm just presenting this as a really interesting spiritual song and uh, by people who are really dedicated and uh, do far more than just uh, you know spiritual things, but try to really help people. So here is uh, M33, a song called I Am Lightstorm. By light store.
Dr. Hugo Rodier has published four books on health issues covering practically all chronic health problems. You may find them by accessing his website at hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. Gut health is the most academic, while switching off chronic disease is the most patient-oriented with simple recipes to implement his nutritional protocols. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio, or video products on the internet, television, or radio, musical scores for advertising, television, or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing, and useful technology, and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast, and we offer client-based and collaborative products, as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com. That's www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. So, so, Don, I'm going to back to the discussion of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, um, because we're talking right now about deprogramming the American electorate. We're talking about changing people into people who are not helpless, but actually ha- have a sense of their power and how to execute their power as, 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 a, part of, uh, as, as a part of them being voters in the United States. Right. So uh, anyway, we're trying to create an infrastructure that helps people to directly contact elected officials, corporate officers, 
and media representatives when they're issued by a large number of concerned citizens through a social media platform. In other words, we're not just, we are going to deal with the elected stuff, but we can also deal with the corporations and the media, which are also part of that negative package which influences legislation and the way it's carried out. So I, I decided that this thing would be uh, not just a political sort of um, infrastructure, social network, if you like, but also something that dealt with co corporate problems and also media problems, which are huge. To this end, uh, members can collaborate on initiatives, even to the point of creating and recommending legislation with a high level of specificity and backing by interested members. Another part of this infrastructure will be to solicit candidates of like mind and create campaigns useful in primary and special elections. Since corporations and media play a vital role in affecting electoral outcomes, it is simply not enough to address the electoral process directly. The power of consumers, shareholders, and those who watch, listen to our ever-present media need to understand. So I think part of the problem is that people, where are they? Okay, you know, you said something a little, uh, a few weeks ago that I have been giving a lot of thought to. You were talking about sort of a, sort of a citizen watchdog groups, right? Right. Remember? Well, I started to think about because when we talked about it, I said, well, the one thing we can't do, we could do a lot of things, but we can't really punish people directly. Uh, in other words, we can't put them in jail if they, they do something that we don't like. But what we can do is we can create citizen oversight committees. Which is a beautiful idea, by the way. And there are a couple radio shows on our network that are doing exactly that, establishing citizen courts and citizen jurisdictional uh, uh, courts and law and so on. And using that um, with respect to their sovereign rights within various countries. Um, and they're going after, let's say, pedophiles on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, you know, they're using it to uh, hold uh, uh, accountable various people in various offices for their for their criminal behavior. So it's, you know, it, it is a citizen's movement um, when you start establishing these jurisdictional co courts and, and, and sovereign assemblies, um, you know, with, with groups of people, and then you start uh, you know, handing down, let's say, indictments or arrest warrants or so on and so forth. Now, can you actually uh, go beyond that and and uh, arrest them or hold them? You can, you can arrest them. I think you can arrest them. The citizen's arrest is legal. But what you can't do is you can't put them in jail. Right, you can't, right, you can't hold them. So, it yes, there are some drawbacks to that. Um it's but, you know, the thing that, that, I, that I saw in, in thinking about your idea was that the coalition really should not just be online. It should be like me, me, weekly meetings where people can discuss local things and other stuff and, they, and, and set up possibly a, a, a sort of a mock court in some cases or they study a certain thing together. And right. there should be a living... Uh, there should be because if you take the if you have the if you really have the power to create things that are sort of pre-legislation documents 
things that could be used to create legislation. You have people, you have 10, 15,000, 100, you know, 75,000 people behind it. Well, that's going to really affect the people in, in power, right? They're going to say, well, right. maybe they're not going to vote for me. Right. You know, so there's a, a, a lot. And, uh, and also tell the people what they can and uh, can and, and uh, you know, what they can and possibly do in these situations. People don't know. Citizens' rights are so obscure that there really has to be some clarity there. And yeah. allowing these citizens to establish these assemblies and hold these courts uh, is, I think, um, uh, a really effective way to do things. Again, and, totally le- and totally legal. Yeah, yeah. And brings a but, lot of media and attention uh, and limelight to these dark resources. Um, and they're quite effective. Again, I've seen this work quite a bit. Uh, a couple of our hosts do exactly that on the international st- stage, and it's quite effective, quite effective. Well, uh, I, another thing, I, you know, it strikes me that, um, okay, yeah, you could do a citizen's arrest, but you could also have 1,500 people petition uh, prosecutors or uh, um, or even the police to, to do something lobbyist in that situation. Group, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so, I, and another thing that you can do is, and very, I think, very legal, although I don't know the ramifications of it, is operate on pet recalls. Get together and do a recall on a federal, state, and local level. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, once you do a recall, it, it, it passes. You you get enough petition to set up the recall, but then it goes into the general electorate. Right. And so, uh, and you get a lot of publicity. Exactly. And I think we need to get a lot of these people out of, out of, out of power. Well, more people so, now are thinking politics, and more people are engaged now. That's the one good thing about what's been going on, even when it yes. comes to the crazier parts of some of these movements. It's really effective in people uh, getting motivated and becoming uh, aware of the situations that encompass their lives and others. And... Uh, it, it stuns me. I mean, there must be more people now that are waking up and, and, and uh, you know, starting to pay attention than ever before in history. Uh, and to me, that's a good thing. Now, will it be enough? Is it a little too little too late? Maybe. But well, the, the problem is, is a lot of these people, and they, co- they probably correspond to almost 40% of vo- voters. There you go. Uh, those people do not really know anything about the Constitution, their rights, right. uh, American law. So those people and everybody else needs to get to a certain state of, uh, of, of understanding. And, right. and it's not really being the practical aspect of it is not really being taught in schools. That's correct. In fact, exactly the opposite. So, so basically, the schools operate to put people to sleep in general and not to awaken them, although I'm sure there are lots of exceptions. So anyway, vital to the goal of the coalition is the awakening of the American people so they can begin to take their government back to the electoral process. I realize, like we've been talking about, the difficulty of this challenge, but it is a start. But having an informed population and ultimately in the rest of the world in the United States and the rest of the world, is our best hope for peace, ultimately world peace and an essential agreement in realizing a truly dem- democratic society here and everywhere else. So I don't see any other choice. We just don't have the arms. You know, if, if someone's talking about a violent re- revolution, that is ridiculous. This is not, 
this is not really something that's possible um, at this time, in my opinion. I'm not trying to advocate it, but I'm just saying we need to do this through the election process. We need to do this through the mo mobilization of our numbers before our numbers are un un um, compromisingly diminished. You know what I mean? I do. Okay, so I want to just say when we went, I want to just talk about what led up to this. When we went into after Afghanistan and Iraq after 9-11, which I supposed to be, I thought was a clear fold attack by Al-Qaeda, I very enthusiastically supported Bush in the second Gulf War. I had been overwhelmed by Colin Powell's speech in the, United, in the United Nations. Here's the part, of the part that really scared me. We're going to go to N74 and talk about a speech that affected a lot of people in terms of their support of the Iraq war. One of the most worrisome things that emerges from the thick intelligence file we have on Iraq's biological weapons is the existence of mobile production facilities used to make biological agents. Let me take you inside that intelligence file and share with you what we know from eyewitness accounts. We have first-hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. The trucks and train cars are easily moved and are designed to evade detection by inspectors. In a matter of months, they can produce a quantity of biological poison equal to the entire amount that Iraq claimed to have produced in the years prior to the Gulf War. Although Iraq's mobile production program began in the mid-1990s, UN inspectors at the time only had vague hints of such programs. Confirmation came later, in the year 2000. The source was an eyewitness, an Iraqi chemical engineer who supervised one of these facilities. He actually was present during biological agent production runs. He was also at the site when an accident occurred in 1998. Twelve technicians died from exposure to biological agents. When the truth began to come out about the way we had been deceived about the culpability of Saddam Hussein and saw massive surveillance and torture begin to change the scene, plus the exposure of 9-11's false intelligence, my studies took me into the very painful territory and I began to see that my entire concept of America had begun to shift. I was not alone. Years later, this is what Colin Powell, Powell said about that devastating but very motivating speech. M75. Liberal viewer present. So when former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell went on Meet the Press on Sunday, Tim Russert brought up that one day that may have most undermined Colin Powell's credibility, his February 5, 2003 appearance at the United Nations, saying things like this. Every statement I make today is backed up by sources, solid sources. These are not assertions. What we're giving you are facts and conclusions based on solid intelligence. Now, as we all know, that intelligence turned out not to be that solid. And, as he had in a November 20, 2005 interview with the LA Times, Powell again claimed he was misled by unknown forces in the intelligence community who failed to reveal vital information to him as he describes here. I cannot tell you why within the intelligence community uh, the, the people who had put out burn notices, meaning don't trust this source, those burn notices never rose to the right level. 
And one of the things I'm most irate about is that I have reason to believe in, in, in the CIA, the nights we were out there till midnight every night, putting this presentation together and trying to make it airtight. There were people in the room who knew that burn notices had gone out on some of these sources, and that was not raised to me or to Mr. Tennant. Why not? I can't answer that question. This is this is for the others. You know, I'm not I'm not the investigator of the intelligence community, but if I was, um, we we would be having very long meetings about this. Then, on the subject of investigations, Powell goes even further. That may be because up until this year, the Bush administration and the Republican Congress did everything they could to split up the intelligence investigations so that they never reached the subject of how the intelligence was used before the invasion of Iraq. That may be why Powell suggests even further investigation towards catching the culprits who so damaged American national security, as you can see in this clip. There have been a number of uh, uh, investigations. Uh, Mr. Silberman, uh, Judge Silberman did an investigation. We have different congressional uh, investigations underway. But, you know, the responsibility for looking into all that rests with the President of the United States the national intelligence community and and the congress and and i don't know if congress has been using all the oversight power that it has to look into these kinds of matters so what do you think is it finally time to do a real investigation of the manipulation of u.s intelligence in the lead-up to the u.s invasion of iraq and if there were such an investigation who do you think is responsible for failing to give the most accurate information to secretary of state colin powell before his 2003 speech at the UN that not only did so much to destroy Powell's credibility, but also greatly hurt the credibility of the entire nation. I, YouTube, you decide. You know, you know Don, uh, one of the things we just heard was this false intelligence. And uh, I think we'll go into it later again, but you know, many people are saying what happened in Syria, which provoked the two attacks, on Syria because of the gas were not necessarily real. Right. I don't know if they are or not. We'll discuss. I tend to but. think they. I tend to think it's all media madness. I don't. I honestly don't believe that uh, um, they were using nerve gas and stuff like that. I just don't believe it. And if and if you know if it does pan out to be true, I'd likely start to surmise that it was planted. Well, well, there are actual uh, I, the uh, the actual claim by several reporters who are on the ground who are risking their lives to study this stuff is that it was the white helmets. The white helmets claim to be affiliated with the, um, you know, with, with Syria, the, the part of the defense fund and so forth. But really, they are a group that has been staging these things right. uh, and and doing other things in, in, in because they're associated with the terrorist groups that we right. support. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's a whole other story. But what I was thinking of, Don, was like this intelligence that we got recently about um, about Trump, uh, not tr about Trump directly, but about the uh, twelve military intelligence officials who have been, you know, fooling around. And I was thinking that it was some people, like for instance, Aaron Matei of Real News, would say. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I'm not making up my mind yet. And, and then uh, he got into a, a I argument. I think Manafort's, uh, the eunuch, is so uh, out to lunch and such a deceiving liar, personally. Who, who is that? Um, the eunuch. <laughs> I, I, was talking about, I, I was talking about Aaron Matei. Of, uh, oh, oh, I thought you were talking about, like, these 12 Russians that were indicted and... Uh, 
uh, from Manford. Okay, I, I got my wires crossed. Forgive me. Um, these weren't the ones. The, no, these are not the ones from Manafort. The, that that was the, that was um, these these were ones that were indicted for actually elect, uh, tampering oh, okay. with the elections. And this recently came out, and people were saying, "Why don't you believe this?" You know, we've been telling you all along. Well, they these people I'm talking about MSNBC and CNN. They've been telling all along that the Russians are tampering with no evidence. But now there's supposedly evidence, and it was a long. You know, uh, a lot a lot of this evidence, supposedly. But does that mean that we have to believe it? I don't right. believe it until I know, I, until I know more. And I don't remember how this worked. But at one point, Putin said, uh, yeah, we'll be glad to. You can come over here with your, uh, you know, intelligence officers and, and at least interrogate these people with us. And Trump said, well, we, we can reciprocate. Now, what I heard of, and I'm not saying that I would, I thought that what he what was intended there was that, yeah, your intelligence officers can come in here and interrogate somebody that we're interested, in, which was a former ambassador and some of his associates. And I'm I'm willing to say that this is a totally fabricated thing uh, that Putin's doing. I don't know whether it is or not, but whether it is or not, I don't see if that were to happen. So what? as long as we could get over there and interrogate his intelligence officers. But everybody said, no, we can't do that, right? We're not going to go over there and, right. and, and right. check this out. And uh, it's so many times I've seen that they want to blame Russia. And, and I'm not saying that Russia is any kind of golden star. I don't, I, I don't believe that at all. But I don't believe that you, you, want, to, you, you want to have any kind of falsehood involved if you're going to be doing, dealing with a nuclear power, you don't want to just put on sanctions like, uh, for instance, put on sanctions in Russia for something they didn't do. Or, for instance, did they really were they really responsible for this the second um, the second poisoning of some people in, in England? And were they responsible for the last poisoning when we got without even an investigation? We just took people's word for it and we got rid of 60 diplomats. Right. And what they've 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 actually the latest story I heard that it was uh, a British citizen that had actually uh, um, facilitated that. Yeah. Oh, really? The yeah. first one or the second one? Uh, I think the latest one. I'm not quite sure. Oh, we might yeah, have a caller. I'll be right back. Okay. So, the 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 deal here is that. Um, This whole event with with um, Colin Powell taught me that when you hear something through the news or by word of mouth, if there's no opposing view and the body of people accept it, it's not very easy to challenge. Right. But in these days of misleading and outright false reporting, the intervention in mass media by government, the manipulation of media and legislative efforts by corporate media is something to guard against. So the first rule that we're going to be talking about in, in, in terms of uh, deprogramming the American ele electorate is that they should be re they should be informed. They should look at everything that's available to them before they start making decisions. Go ahead, Don. I'm sorry. No, I totally agree. Uh, but I do think Russia is a dangerous critter. I mean, here you've got a man who's wealthier than most people on earth, and he runs that country with an iron fist. Don't think he doesn't. A lot. I, I have, I've had a host on our network from Russia, 
and uh, she was a beautiful lady, and her and her son would uh, talk to me at length on some of the reasons why they moved. Um, it's, you know, you've got, you do have an iron uh, fist that controls um, that country and the industry and so on. So, you know, your freedoms there are a lot less than what they would be here, and you got a lot more corruption, a lot more buy payoffs, uh, uh, murders. Um, so is it, you know, is it something we should, uh, you know, hearken on to and, and then start? We should hearken on to it. I, I, I don't know as much as maybe you do about what's going on in Russia, but I, I know that it's not, it's not up to our so-called standards. It isn't. It's not. It, it, but, but that doesn't mean that we should play around with falsehood in order to be able to, to, to affect a oh, sanction. You don't go slapping the gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this guy has, he has new nuclear weapons. We'll go into another program that are really devastating. If, if they actually can be activated, are very, very dangerous. And, uh, and, and definitely China and, and, and his country are looking to compete directly with the United States and to possibly try to have something that can, that can uh, where we could be attacked and they would, they would be safe, which would be... Well, I almost think that, you know, Putin at least is smart enough. And he's he has, smart. yeah, yeah. They, that I don't, I think he wants some sort of a balance on the global stage. And when you have three countries like the U.S., Russia, and China, which are kind of like the, the pivotal ends of that, um, changing that up might not be a smart thing. You know, I mean, right now we have three superpowers that kind of keep a level playing field. And, uh, you know, changing that dynamic might not be so wise. I well, don't how know. Can you but how can you change it? I mean, you're risking... And do you want to? You, right. Well, yeah, that, yeah, I'm there. yeah, I'm there with you. I, you. I mean, I understand that there may have been really bad things in Ukraine, but it's hardly that we are, as a country... In exporting democracy to these countries anyway. We're not right? anymore. They have so, their so, right. So, exactly. so, so, so that's all BS. What it, what it is about in Syria is access to resources. And I think, right. I honestly think that what's happening now of is Of course, that, it's about the oil, it's about the pipeline, it's about access to the resources and, and uh, you know, uh, getting our oil into Europe or Russia getting their oil uh, into... Uh, 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 South Africa and out and in through Europe, you bet. It, it's absolutely a pivot. Syria is pivotal. I think what they're trying to do now, I think this is what Trump and Putin are trying to do. First of all, remember I talked to you about the white helmets who were working for the. Right. I've heard that against term us. before. White helmets. Okay. It's always. A, white helmets were people working, supposedly working for Syria, right. trying to help people, but they were really seemingly secretly. Uh, helping Al Qaeda, who are trying to get, and ISIS trying to get rid of Assad, and right, we were supporting right. that. Well, recently, Don, and I'm not an expert in this, but what happened is that they, they are getting rid of, our, we, they are being let go of, and are being sent off to different countries throughout Europe. So they, so they're getting rid of them. Why are they getting rid of them? Uh, you know, maybe to help them. Well, they're getting rid of them, I think, is because they're getting ready to make a deal with Syria, because Israel is already making a deal with Syria. Right. Even though they shut shut down a, I, I think agree they shut down you. a plane the other day. So they're gonna, I think, 
there's a there's a movement in Israel to go ahead and say, well, we're not going to be enemies of Syria. We'll we'll be okay with Syria. Just get those Iranian groups out of there. Right. I agree. And so so then you could have a collaborate. You see, in the Golan Heights, which is being occupied, there's a lot of oil, and there, there's an oil company called Genie Oil Company, which. Dick Cheney owns a part of, or is part of their, their advisory. Yeah, isn't that board, nice? <laughs> among, among other things. And, and so what you have there is the possibility of getting a pipeline that maybe a bunch of people are going to, you know, a bunch of countries are going to take a, a component of, but they all could use it, right? Russia could use it. United States could use it. And it's just another, and Syria could use it. So it's an, just another uh, type of alliance. Right. And that's what and, it is. And, You're right and, and then suddenly the problems with Assad disappear, right? He's he's a good guy. <laughs> Who knows? He's whatever we want him to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but just about what we were talking about just a second, it, being informed about these things, it's not going to necessarily give you the final truth. But it can give you a direction where you have, because we need a direction because we do vote. And we do have to support certain things. So we do have to make up our mind if it's possible. And sometimes we have to decide not to make up our mind because we really don't know. So um, I agree. I, just, I, I wish there was more like even Mensa groups that would help, you know, the citizens put together these, let's say, think tanks um, and start being more citizenship oriented, more uh, people oriented instead of... Uh, you know, uh, clubs for the money, so and how the money should move. Uh, I love the coalition idea that you've you've established, and I think uh, you know more and more people that do become familiar with these things and become aware of them can make better choices. Yeah. So. I mean, it's it's kind of the opposite of, of Facebook, right? Right. You know, you're trying to actually create. See, one of the things I had to decide was. Am I going to, because I worked for another company, do I want an open platform? No, I want a platform where citizen rights, this is what you have to believe in to, to join this group, basically. I mean, in other words, you are supporting citizen human rights. So people coming in here who, don't, who, who want campaign finance by corporations to be unlimited, maybe you're not going to be joining. <laughs> You know, because we need to deal with that. That campaign finance, that's just critical. And, and I mean, you know, you've got tremendous forces working against you now because of it, um, because of the open-ended corporate financing of elect, electoral campaigns. Right. So anyway, getting back to the deprogramming of the American electorate, we, uh, we want, we're talking about being informed. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, you know, you come to a certain conclusion, not just by being informed. You have to be aware not only what you couldn't trust and the various types of analysis given by all sides, you realize that you can't even, in other words, you could hear the news, you hear both sides, and uh, you might not know what to trust, but actually you can't even trust that the events that happened, like we were just talking about, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't even trust it. You can't in other trust. words, 
Right. They, you had all these people talking about something that happened, like I heard after the Syrian thing. Oh, yeah, wow, that was great what Trump did, including the legislators who didn't have any role in it at all. And uh, they're all saying it's great. And yet maybe it never happened because of, and, and, the, and the mainstream news wasn't even bringing that up, except maybe in a sentence or two. Right. Conspiracy theory. Yeah. So I evolved a kind of attitude, one that is promulgated by more of the alternative media that I personally want to trust. This attitude, in fact, is promoted every day by a journalist analyst who gives us a daily briefing on it and commentary on a website colorfully called The Last American Vagabond. And their sort of motto is uh, question everything. So you, you're, you're, you're informed, but you start to question things. And so much I mean, I remember back then, right after 9-11, when I became a believer in the war and everything, and I never thought to question it. Look at what Colin Pound said. Could you get more? I mean, I thought he was an honorable man. As a matter of fact, I still do think he was an honorable man. But boy, was he deceived, right? I don't know about Colin. Uh, to be quite honest, I think the guy can go left or right at any time. I, I, I don't think he okay. has that strict character and moral compass that I'd like to see. No, I, I don't think uh, Colin Powell does. But that's my okay, opinion. Well, I don't, I don't know that much about him, but my impression was that. Right. But the point is, is that I did believe him, and then later on he showed me that everything he said was, was based on, a, a, on false information about those rotating biological weapons that really freaked right. me out. Right. So, so I question everything. It's really be informed and question anything. And then another, another thing is that I've come to some of these conclusions here. Um, um, I wouldn't have come to these conclusions if, if I hadn't looked at alternative media and, uh, and mainstream media and, and become skeptical of both of them. Because there is as much toxicity in uh, alternative media as there is in, in conventional media, right? Oh, absolutely. No doubt about some that. Some of it is insane. <laughs> and some of it is not insane, but it's just really so obviously biased that it's it's almost disgusting. But one thing I like about what we have here, we have a forum, and yes, there are people we'll disagree with, but we have a sort of an open forum where there is real discussion taking place voluminously every day in BBS. Thank you. Yes, indeed. I agree. So part of questioning everything is looking carefully at what people or institutions are saying and trying to determine why they are saying it. Also, one needs to be asking why they want you to get to believe it and what steps will they take, if any, to try and get you to believe it. So that is where I think it's a rather big deal when you start asking why. You know, you're informed, you're questioning things, and then you're asking, well, why, why is this happening? Why would let's say that we do buy that the Syri there was this, uh, an attack in Syria uh, against something that didn't exist? Well, why would that happen? Or conversely, if it did happen, why on earth would would Assad attack his own people when he was winning the war and getting rid of ISIS and, and those groups? So you have to ask why. And when you ask why, you may not come up with a definitive answer or probably you'll come up with the best theory that you can manage, you know, that you can manage. And that's probably not the best thing that could happen. But I don't know anything else that you can do. 
I mean, unless you become an investigative reporter or unless you go over to Syria and look at it, you know, you're going to have to take, you're going to have to rationally take some facts as being true and some not. Would you say that? I would. Agreed. So, no doubt. uh, the, um, the last three administrations have gradually stripped away so much of, of our freedoms. To what end? Here are my thoughts. In terms of current establishment Democrats and Republicans, we are dealing with two types of empire building. The first type of empire building is a fascist type of world government represented by Bush and Obama and, of course, Clinton. The second type is a type of America, American empire building, which is a throwback to earlier decades and is represented by Trump. Trump is building an empire with a kind of nationalism at its core, like the British Empire. Although there is a different flavor and strategy between the globalist and nationalist style of empire building, they have several things in common. And this is, you know, I'm going to read a couple of things here that I I consider both these groups have in common. One, both groups are very much interested in protecting and even expanding the interests of the military-industrial complex, and therefore taking huge amounts of money for the end that end at the expense of the American citizen. They're willing to send troops to wars and military situations without approval from Congress and essentially in violation of the constitutional requirement to declare war. That's number one. Number two, they have stood by and allowed the citizen human rights of the American voter to be compromised. And we've discussed that. They have allowed giant corporations and their lobbyists literally to write legislative bills so large and complex that serve their interests but also cannot often be easily vetted by members of Congress and their staff. Without a Congress that really studies its bills and votes in ways that fulfills their responsibilities to their electorate, we really do not have legislators but puppets of patrons. Four, their goal is both physical assets, including money, but also power. Their personal psychology is based on empowerment over resources and people. Sad to say there is pleasure involved in this kind of control, and when possible and unfettered, it can go to extraordinary lengths of cruelty and perversion. Five, economically, they run through a win-lose model, a scarcity model of a gigantic proportions. To this end, they need victims of their death machines, because how can you have a war without victims? They also need workers whose benefits and health are not important because they're regarded as a, in a way similar to their war fatalities and casualties, sort of like working cannon fodder. They also need a well-rewarded managerial elite to oversee the functioning of government, including members of Congress, the executive and judicial, but also high-ranking officers to oversee the military and executives and managers to run the corporations. Their goal is like the current Republican Party, to get most of the marbles in the hands of the big players. These government officials, military officers, and corporate managers are elite insiders. Of course, not everyone in the government, the military corporations, are or believe in empire building. So I'm not targeting everybody, but I'm saying there are some very powerful people in these positions. And, and we're, we're talking about the, these are the um, controlling people who are the elite insiders. To the elite insiders, the worker soldiers and many who would be classified as victims, we called acceptable outsiders. They are basically usable human assets of the, of the elite in a political context. They are the base that supports the elite. The victims here look at themselves as a privileged class following a, sa- a sage and righteous leader. They are, only, they are only abused in reality, but publicly, 
They are generally pumped up as an essential and valuable tool to the elite insiders who speak of themselves as part of those ruling willing masses, but not really above them in essential value. Seven, the other classes of people are all victims, but much more directly than the tools of the elite. They can be called objectionable outsiders, but for, for purposes here, let's give them the name we are more familiar with, scapegoats. They will be used to fan, fan the flame of allegiance to the elite and their managers. They will be used to ma mind manage the thoughts and feelings of the base. Scapegoating is a valuable tool for overthrowing a democracy. Scapegoats are killed and mistrusted in various ways. Eight, both the globalists and the empire builders are myth makers. They create myths of prosperity, health and leisure to lure workers and soldiers into their socioeconomic manipulations. Belief systems are their, their coin of the realm and with these beliefs, people are trapped beneath their political or spiritual roof and may not even notice their pockets are being picked for the long, long term. So this is the picture of empire building involved in some of my personal conclusions. I believe the mainstream media tends to favor one side or the other directly related to the Republican or Democratic objectives. To me, as a builder of paradigms, there are virtually no acceptable paradigms in their policies. So what do you think of that? I think you're right. I mean, if you want to peg the things that make them quite similar, you just pegged them. <laughs> no. and, and, and they, they overlap, you know, they overlap. Yeah, and I, I actually believe there there is maybe a core of certain of these things that are really invisible, really uh, right. deep The state. similarities there, you know, I mean, you're right. They, they are quite similar in their approach. And um, it's, uh, it's like you're just dealing with something a little different on the surface. But when you get right down to the, you know, the meat of it, it's quite similar. Right. Yeah, it's really strange. It is. But, and so let's go over the, we're talking about deprogramming the American electorate. So let's just run this down quickly. So after getting informed, questioning everything, widening our scope of investigation to encompass all available options, including alternative media, asking why are events flowing in a certain direction, for what reason, we must also get into the perspective of building better, more righteous paradigms. Is this the world that we now have, what, what our creator actually wants? To this end, for those who subscribe to the step of building better paradigms, prayer, meditation, and seeking guidance might be part of the solution. So we're looking for guidance, the same guidance that we believe inspired the Declaration and the Constitution. Amen. That God that exists there didn't go away he isn't like, oh, he came to the Founding Fathers and then he left and he went on vacation for two million years. No, we went on vacation from listening to him and trying to, to find out what we needed to do. And um, that's what happened. For us, we no longer live in anything like the democracy the Founding Fathers tried to build. We live in a shadow world, divided between at least the democracy that Jefferson dreamed of and the substantial progress made towards that end over more than two centuries. And the shadowy something with a, with a government that various factions are directing us towards, but in different ways. In other words, we had a democracy, but now they're heading us to where? Some kind of an empire, but in different, different flavors. You can call what we, call, what we have now in a hypocrisy, with some meaningful components of democracy still alive, but already legally challenged, so that the rights involved no longer have real protection.
Yeah, isn't that the truth? Yep. Well, any hymnocracy um, means that the citizens of the United States, in fact, the majority of the electorate, are by virtue of manipulation by outside sources, outside forces that are asleep in their own rational faculties and conscience, but rather guided by a blind belief in either organization, certain individuals or ideology of parties, uh, the particular political party they belong to. So these people are kind of controlled by outside forces. As an antidote to this mechanical capitulation to outside influences, we began to uh, envision the organization we've been talking about. Its purpose was to wake up the people of the world, particularly now America, to our true situation so we can work together to take back our citizen and human rights. So now we're going to uh, take a break and um, let's, uh, let's play a song. Let's just play right now M36. In my room 
It is the 15th century. El Tesoro de Cielo, a Spanish treasure ship, sends a scouting expedition to a strange island. Golden statues surrounding them prove the enormity of their find. Suddenly, hordes of ghoulish creatures with scaly green flesh and skeletal wings descend upon them from the sky. What do you think of this, Rufio? These creatures are fragile, Captain. We can take them with our swords. They seem supernatural. Who knows what powers they possess? Fallen angels weakened by their treason. By God, are you saying they're Nephilim, the devil's host? I'm saying whatever they are, we can take them. Do any of you cowards dare join me? Up against sharp knife-like nails and hideous fangs, the men's swords rip into slimy green flesh. Though black blood pours copiously from their half-naked bodies, creatures miraculously persist. Can the crew survive this bloody, cursed battle? Find out more by googling The Thrice Born, a new sci-fi supernatural novel by Carlos Lopez Avery and Johnny Blue Star. Google with the words Carlos Johnny Kendall, The Thrice Born. That's Carlos Johnny Kendall, The Thrice Born. Well, you know, one of the dangers here is that democracy which we've barely held on to, is going to really collapse into rabid authoritarian government. I'm going to write something by, uh, I'm not going to write something, I'm going to read something by New York Times reporter Amanda Taub, which she wrote in April of 2017, and it's called How Autocrats Can Triumph in Democratic Countries. And that will be very much what we'll be going into in our next show. But let's, let me read a little bit about this. Yeah, sounds to, good. Today, the most common way for a democracy to collapse is through the actions of an elected incumbent, not a coup or revolution. Hugo Chavez, selected to four terms as president of Venezuela, used his time in office to dismantle the institutions of Venezuelan democracy and expand his own authority. President Vladimir Putin of Russia has so thoroughly concentrated power in his own hands that many observers now refer to Russia as an elected dictatorship. Well, that's what her opinion is. And then, and then in Turkey, Mr. Erdogan appears to be following that well-trodden path. This phenomenon, which experts call authoritarianism, uh, excuse me, authoritarianization, highlights a deep vulnerability built into the structure of democracy itself. Once in power, unscrupulous leaders can sometimes manipulate the political environment to their own benefit, making it more likely they will be victorious in future contests. By winning these elections, they gain the stamp of democratic legitimacy, even for actions that ultimately undermine democratic norms. In other words, what they're doing is they're, they're getting elected, and once they're elected, they're, you know, and they have another election, well, being an incumbent, that gives them a tremendous amount of power. Manipulating and winning elections has become a kind of exploit in the rules of political legitimacy, she says, a way for would-be autocrats to hack into the system. Then she says, such leaders uh, often use what Andreas Schedler, a professor of political science at the Center for Economic Research and Teaching in Mexico City, calls a menu of manipulation to obtain favorable results. Techniques like curtailing press freedom, hmm, I never heard of that. Limiting the opposition's ability to campaign and spreading misinformation, never heard of that. Enable incumbents to manipulate outcomes without resorting to easily traceable techniques like ballot stuffing. 
Mr. Chavez, for instance, systematically revoked the broadcast licenses of media outlets that did not give him friendly coverage. In Russia, state-run media lionizes Mr. Putin, who has cracked down on dissent and systematically shut off political opportunities for the opposition. Myers Vatslik, who is a political scientist at, at Yale, compared the result to a team of seven-foot-tall giants playing basketball against the team of five-footers. It's still basketball, he said, but it systematically favors one side or the other. Well, that's basically what we're dealing with. Um, so, Don, I guess we're approaching the end now. So what we're going to do is we're going to go out with uh, in, a, in a moment. Uh, I want to thank you for coming today, right, Don? Oh, absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I, I absolutely love the, this entire format, building the coalition. Thank you. And I also want to thank your brother because he helps us so much in working the details of, of this amazing system that you have. Thank you. Oh, I, I, and I, I want to thank that. Well, I, I appreciate both of you, and it's tremendous to work with you. Of course, I, I want to thank Hassan Khan, who's uh, in Bangladesh, and right now he's, uh, he's um, getting ready for his brother to be married. And, but he, oh, wow. he's helped me up to the last minute before he had to leave, and uh, he, he does so much for me. Linda Mystic Healer is always sending me information, and Annie Miller has been supporting the actual uh, certain components of the first stages in developing the infrastructure, the social network for the coalition. So anyway, we'll go and play uh, INF Extra 2, and then a song, a special song sung by Patricia Welch, will tell us a lot about the people we're working with, and that'll be at those two. Thanks for joining Don Newsom and I on Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. As we go about developing our new organization, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, we hope you will consider the importance of taking part in the electoral processes of your government and asserting the rights you have to vote for the companies you respect and love by casting your ballot as a shareholder or as a consumer with what you buy. We hope soon to make this possible through a social network responsive to your needs to dialogue about your rights as a citizen, but also to be able to effectively act in concert with like-minded colleagues to find representatives of government and business executives who will hear your voice and appreciate your message. See you soon.
your heart and soul is what I came for. Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. Take off your coat. Don't you know you can't win? You're no exception to the rule. I'm irresistible, you fool. Give in. Give in. Give in. Give in. 